are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, and I'm the founder of the movement and podcast known as the W2 Capitalist. Today's episode have a very special guest. We were chatting just a little bit ago. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. Mark Hinteman. Is it, is it Hinteman or is it just Hinteman? Yeah, no, it's Hinteman. Okay. You got it. Awesome. So Mark is an Emmy-nominated writer, producer, an original writer of the show Family Guy, which if you don't know about that show, where have you been? After struggling, I love this bio, after struggling as a starving artist, he used his first script payments to buy a duplex as a hedge against the uncertainties of the entertainment career. And we're going to get into that. He thought that show was going to be canceled, uh, which is incredible. So real estate became a passionate side hustle. And since he's built an $80 million multifamily portfolio in Los Angeles and Austin, Texas, uh, Los Angeles, California, I might add, uh, for those who are geographically challenged, and Austin, Texas, founded Quantum Capital and hosts the Wild West Real Estate Podcast. I love the name of that podcast, by the way. Mark continues to write and produce and voice act on The Family Guy, has created shows for Fox MTV and written for movies. His mission is to help people achieve financial freedom through real estate so they don't have to become television writers. So (laughs) I did not, as you can tell, that's the first time I've read your bio the entire way through. So... (laughs) That is incredible, man. You you want to help people achieve financial freedom so they don't have to become television writers. Let's just dive in right there. What do you mean by that? What do you what's so bad about being a television writer? Yeah, no, that's just a joke. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, my the the job of uh, you know every job in television is different. There are nightmare shows to be on. There are great shows to be on, and there are some that are like the one I've been on you know, almost uh, steadily for 20 years, went from being really hard in those early years and, you know, 15 hour days to now, you know, now that we're 20 seasons in, it's very efficient. We know what we're doing and it's the best. It's like, I'm, these are all my old friends. We go to work each day. We make fun of each other and laugh (laughs) and, uh, and the hours are great. And so, you know, <laughs> I can't, I don't know if that last statement. Uh, no, I, I get there was some sarcasm in there. I, was, I, was pretty, <laughs> I, would, I would have to say the same thing. I would have to say, you know, um, I want to teach other people how to become real estate investors so they don't have to have a job and cybersecurity sales. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> right. Uh, which compare the two between what you do and what I do. Mine almost, you can't get away with the sarcasm. It's like, oh, he's serious. You know, it's <laughs> right. not as uh, not as um, awesome as being a writer for, for a show. It's been on the air for 20 years, right? Yeah. And, which is incredible. Um, you know, and we were chatting a little bit in, in this part of your bio too, is that you didn't think, you bought a first duplex. Your first, was it your very first investment property or your very yes. first duplex? I never owned anything. Wow. So your very first duplex was due, you bought it 
with your script money because you thought, okay, this show is going to get canceled. I've got to have a place to live. I've got to be able to rent this thing out. Uh, let's dive into that a little bit. So I don't understand what script money means. I'm assuming that's just your payday for, hey, I'm going to write this. Do you write a whole season? Do you write one episode at a time? How does that work? Yeah, well, we we have seasons that are about 22 episodes. That's what they were. It's what they consistently been every year. And I think I, in that first season, I think I got a couple episodes for me to write. Every, uh, every script or storyline gets assigned to a writer. So you know, they get spread around the writer's room and then you go off and you write that script. And, you know, you get paid. I think back then it was maybe $25,000 uh, a, a script. And then, you know, you get residuals and you also get show producing fees. But, um, but that's what I got. I got a couple of those like 25,000 uh, script payments. And I think I had, yeah, I, I literally had like $45,000 in the bank after a long stretch of just being broke and, and trying to break in. And, and, you know, it was traumatic. Like prior to that, it was a long journey trying to chase a dream from Ohio to ultimately into the business. And I had never known anybody in the business, but I was just dumb enough to try and, uh, you know, try to teach myself how to write, you know, how stories worked, how jokes worked, you know, what makes, what makes them great, when, what makes them work when they work and what makes them bad when they're bad. You mean there's an actual science behind what we watch on TV <laughs> and not just a bunch of guys getting together and says, oh, I think this is going to be funny. Let's put it together. Are yeah. I mean, actual science, just like in real estate investing, right? I didn't know. I mean, I just started watching. I don't think I realized it either until you just said it and this light yeah, bulb went off. I was like, you wow, just had that's... to, I was like off on my own. I didn't know anybody that had ever worked in the business and I didn't go to school for it at all. I you know, went for something completely worthless. But, um, <laughs> As trying, most college educations are, but it's right. a topic for another episode. Yeah, but I tried to teach myself, like, yeah, how, deconstruct everything. Like every joke, why is that working? Why Or why does it not work? What's wrong with it if it doesn't work? And same with stories. And then eventually just started practicing it and tried to build up that discipline. And did that for a long time and, you know, was going totally broke. And I was in New York um, for a while and, uh, and yeah, had no money and was, you know, facing homelessness. And it was, I, you know, it sucked. It sucked being a starving artist and bolting awake in the middle of the night, you know, panicked over how are you going to pay your rent. So those wounds were fresh when I joined Family Guy. You know, I got hired on David Letterman actually before uh, Family Guy and oh, did cool. a, a stint, a brief stint there, and then moved out to LA and joined Family Guy. But yeah, I was determined. I I got to get a financial cushion. When uh, when did, when were you on Le when were you on Letterman? Uh, ninety six, ninety seven. Okay, I, I was trying. To, I went to we 
I went to New York with a group and we just happened to get tickets to the Letterman show. We were walking by the right place, the right time. And the guy handed them to us or whatever. I think we had to answer some trivia questions, uh, to get in oh, really? and, and yeah. And, and, um, but one of the guys was, was, was a big Letterman fan and we ended up going. So I was trying, I think it was like 99, 2000. So just missed okay. you there. That's uh that's cool though. That's uh um, very, very good stuff. So you bought this first duplex. Did you house hack it? I know house hacking probably wasn't a term 20 right. years ago, but, but did you yes. house hack it? You lived in one side and rented the other? Yes. In retrospect, it was a house hack. And, you know, I had, I, I had, you started, it was, it was not really that intentional or, or deliberate. I knew, you know, I had felt this anxiety about pursuing a career in the entertainment business um, and I was really pretty desperate for financial stability or at least a financial cushion. And I wasn't, I had no confidence that I was going to be uh, consistently employed in this business and make a decent living. So, uh, you know, I, I randomly ran into a broker on one Sunday morning and I was in a one bedroom apartment, living in a one bedroom apartment. And she was like, why aren't you putting your you know, your savings into a mortgage. And I was like, I, you know, you think I want the responsibility of a mortgage? <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, I said, I talked to her for a while and she eventually, eventually I said, you know, the only way I would ever take on a mortgage is if, if that mortgage was a way for me to find some kind of financial cushion and it would have to be the best investment I've ever made like, don't you dare show me any like charming, cute houses that got, you know, freshly painted with flowers. Right. And like, it's got to be ugly, a uh, turd that I can turn into a diamond. And, um, and that was it. And we walked off and I was like, I'm, I'm never going to hear from her again. But she called me and she said, like two weeks later, she said, I found what you, the property you need to buy, but there's a catch. You need to become a landlord. And I was like, a <laughs> landlord? I don't want to be a landlord but I met her at this property and uh, you know, it was this duplex rough around the edges, overgrown. Um, the sellers were uh, moving to Kansas. I remember to dig a hole and live off the grid. Oh, wow. And uh, they had goats and they were raising goats and chickens in the backyard in the middle of Los Angeles. I was going to say, is that legal in Los Angeles? <laughs> I, who knows? <laughs> probably not. Uh, probably not. Probably maybe not. just one. Maybe just one. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, All right. But yeah. so, Go ahead. Yeah, you pa unpacked a lot there. You you became an accident. By the way, do you still keep up with the uh, broker? Yes. Okay. Yes. She changed her life forever. She totally did. And you know what? She could have taken me to the cleaners. Like, she could have gotten me the worst you know, made a quick buck off me, but she didn't. And I, I'm so grateful for that. Like she had my back when yeah. she didn't know me from Adam. Yeah. And, um, and I've been friends with her ever since I bought three houses from her in the following. My first was that duplex. I bought two houses since then. And you know, the, the latter two houses, I found them on my own and I just called her. I said, you want to be the broker on this? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So how, when you say, I don't know, there's so much to unpack there. You, you didn't have intentions of coming in and being a landlord. Like you were truly an accidental landlord, right? Correct. 
But you you did this 20 years ago when there was no internet, there was no real and no podcast, I don't think. <laughs> right. right? If there were, they weren't talking about real estate investing. What how did you even have the idea of okay, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this with an ugly house that I could basically a value add, right? Well, we know it now yes. it's a value add. How did you come about that idea, right? Well, I mean, I knew the concept. You know, it's it it it's not a new concept. Right. I, I met her at the property. I knew going in, arriving there, that this is a a neighborhood that's transitioning quickly because it's really well located, and you know, it had been. I think it goes back to like the L.A. riots in the mid '90s. Like some formerly great, you know, pretty nice, well located central neighborhoods had you know, kind of gone into disrepair because of a combination of the riots, the earthquake and a recession. And this was one that was coming out of that. And it it was walkable to this really quaint stretch called Larchmont Village of restaurants and shops and cafes. And that's an amazing thing in LA is if you can walk, if you could park your car on Friday when you get home from work and not drive the rest of the weekend and just walk in this like charming neighborhood to this village. Um, So I knew that there's no way that this is not going, going on an upward trajectory, but then, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I could see the architectural detail of the, of the duplex that was just totally lost, neglected. So that's kind of what made me jump into it. I was like, okay, let's do this. How many years before you, do you still own it by the way? I do not. No, I sold it after five years. Okay. So after five years, you had built enough into it. Did you 1031 exchange into something else or? Yes. So I got into a bidding war. You know, I, I had a rude awakening to what the LA real estate market. <laughs> I told her like, okay, let's do this. Yeah I'll, yeah. I'll buy this. Can I have this property? What do I have to pay them? And she's like, you make an offer. I think it was listed at $370,000. I started at $350,000. There was 15 other buyers that came wow. into the picture. And we got into a bidding war for two weeks. And I had no idea how to value evaluate <laughs> and just wrote it. And I kept saying, like, June, what, what should I do? What do, what do you think? Because you know more about real estate than I do. And she's like, I think it's a good deal. I think you should stick with it. And... Uh, so this $370,000 property that I offered three fifty dollars on, I, after two weeks, I won the bidding war at $435,000 wow. and immediately thought I had made a huge mistake. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but, you know, tried to move in and, and um, you know, Mike Henry, who, who does the voice of Cleveland and Consuela and Herbert on Family Guy, he was my tenant. Um, <laughs> And he made fun of me for being a landlord and I threatened to evict him uh, (laughs) on a daily basis. Is there an episode where you guys worked that in, the whole uh, commentary? (laughs) Do you remember? We did an episode where Stewie and Brian rehab an old house and (laughs) it's kind of based on based on some of y'all's conversations. Me talking about uh, (laughs) me talking about real estate too much in the writer's room. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's cool though i like i love it but that's a long answer to uh to get to i did 1031 exchange it but i also was you know i was reading 
my education in real estate came during owning that because I was terrified. I thought I had made this disastrous mistake um, by way overpaying and I just wanted to survive. And so I was reading everything I could about, you know, about landlording, about real estate investing and about taxation. So when it came time to sell, you know, when I sold, we also had a bidding war. I think there was 20 buyers and, you know, the property I had overpaid, uh, to buy for 435,000, it sold for 1.27 million. And wow. I asked my accountant, can we take the, uh, the primary residence tax exclusion of $500,000 on our side of the duplex? And can I also 1031 exchange the other side of the duplex? And this CPA said, yes, you can do that. And so, you know, we took out 500,000 tax-free and then we exchanged into a 14 unit in Hollywood. And I was hooked at that time. Yeah, yeah. So having a CPA is one of the best decisions I've, I've done in the last three or three years. Um, didn't have one up until then. Thought I'd like to do it on my own. <laughs> but you, my friend, are smarter than I am. Obviously, uh, you did it very early on and saved you tons and tons of tax. You also, one lesson that you learned, and you, you may have not realized it at the time, was how to time the market, right? Or when yes. to buy, buy low and sell high and when things are getting hot. That, totally. you know, you know, you, I mean, imagine if you would have bought that property in 2005 and then tried to sell it in 2010, right? Yeah. Totally different story. And you'd probably have a totally different taste in your mouth about real estate investing. So, and you'd have a totally different financial picture. Like starting off with a win is, yes. is big. I mean, yes. if, I, if someone did the math on what happens if you start off with a loss versus what happens if you start off with a gain. And that's what you're building over. I started out with a loss. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. So quick story. First property yeah. I bought in 2006. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. I sold it in 2015 because I had, I converted into a rental, didn't know what I was doing, thought I was getting all this cash flow. Uh, turns out it was costing me $300 a month to own it. Somehow I didn't know that, <laughs> and <laughs> and I ended up selling it, buying a uh, a, a six hundred square feet, twenty two thousand dollar foreclosure, put nine grand into it, and rented it for six hundred dollars a month. Um, oh, amazing! Owned it outright, yeah. So it was, so it took you know ten years or so for me to get back and say, okay, I want to do this again, right? Versus you, you came out of your first five years with a ton of cash or tax-free cash in your pocket saying, all right, how do we, how do we double this? Right. Which is incredibly, incredibly cool. Um, yeah. But timing yeah. the market is, is huge. I agree. I have, I, people say don't time the market, just dollar cost average. I think in real estate, you can time the market because real estate is slow moving and inefficient. It's not like the stock market, which you right. trade in the click of a button. Real estate moves at a glacial pace. So you can get ahead of, I think you can get ahead of shifts in the real estate market. It's much easier to buy when the recovery begins than it is to sell before a collapse because, uh, because selling takes a lot longer. It could take six months, whereas you can buy in a day. Um, but 
But yeah, and I didn't know the the market was a, at a good time in the year 2000. I actually thought we were at the peak and that I had missed the growth because I remember, you know, going out with friends and everybody was talking about real estate in 1999 and and into 2000 and I thought I was the last person to show up for this uh <laughs> this boom. But, you know, who knew that it still had seven more years to go. But yeah, yeah. when the wind's at your back, it forgives your mistakes. And yeah. I certainly wasn't savvy at real estate back then. And, you know, it was lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, glad that you recognize that. I was going to call you out if you didn't. But yeah, luck <laughs> definitely played played a part, which is, which is fine, right? You wouldn't have been in that position if not given that broker and your um, what you thought was going to happen to the show you're writing for. So that's, inc- that's incredible. So if I'm hearing you right, you wouldn't say, Hey, chance it buyer's luck, just go buy something. You would say, learn how to evaluate a property before making an offer before getting into a bidding war and going, what was it? 70,000 over your initial. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely learn, learn the market, uh, or learn how to evaluate deals, uh, both of those before, for making an offer for sure. Yeah. And, you know, if I were to make like even a little finer point on that, it would be learn maybe, maybe at this point, understand the economy and under, try to understand the cycles of real estate and and if you like right now i think if you're a new investor um yeah definitely proceed with caution um but uh like if you could begin to understand the real estate cycles and know how they go up and then they dip a little bit and then they go up and then they dip um try to buy at the bottom and try to figure out when that is it's not impossible i mean these cycles happen over and over again and they follow the same pattern and it's the same economic causes and effects that cause them uh, to do these things. So if you can get a read on that, you can time the market. And that's what I've always tried to do. Yeah. You, you said something there and I was like, Oh, I need to write this down. No, I'll, I'll remember it. I'm going to ask you this question. So, you know, I forgot it. So uh, we'll come back to it. Maybe if it hits me, uh, it hits me later. But I'm a podcast what, host and uh, <laughs> that's the Wild West thing. And it's exactly what happens to me. They say something I'm like, oh, I got to ask them a question about that. I got to follow up. And then a minute later, I have no idea what yeah. it was. And, and I'm an old school guy. So I've got my pen and paper right here. And I started to write it down. And the minute I did that, you said something else that sparked my interest. I was like, now, wait a minute. What was I supposed to write down? So anyway, we'll, we'll come back to it maybe. Uh, but so let me ask you this. You, you, um, you're buying in Los Angeles. Oh, um, I know what it is now. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget it. But you're buying in Los Angeles, uh, which I understand is I don't own anything in Los Angeles. I've never looked at the market. But when I hear people talk, they're like, hey, it's expensive, right? How yeah. are you finding deals now and maybe that's why you've branched out into Austin, Texas. Um, but your, your focus, you have a lot of units in Los Angeles. One of my, uh, I wouldn't say favorite. He's up there. One of the, one of the, uh, comedians I like right now is Anthony, uh, Jocelyn. Yeah. Uh, so he, he has this line in his, uh, one of his recent specials is I've, I live in Los Angeles. 
like you wish you could. And I think he throws a couple of extra. But apparently Los Angeles is one of those things. Los, LA is one of those areas where it's just really expensive to, to get in. So do you did you get in at the right time or, did, or are you still finding deals? And if you're still finding deals, how are you going about doing that? Yeah. And the irony, and you brought this up uh, a little bit ago, that when I started, there was no podcasts. There was none of that stuff. So I, you know, this broker, June, pulled me away from renting my one bedroom apartment <laughs> in LA and got me into this duplex. And I didn't know any better. You know, I just bought this thing and lived in it and did really well. Um, you know, that first that first investment on that duplex, I think I, you know, we put 10% down and, and uh, had a 10 multiple on our leverage. And so my gain was like 2000%. And immediately I was hooked and I started looking for more. I was like, I'm going to do this all the time. I tried to buy like two or three buildings a year in LA. And uh, they were in, a, in my, unlike that first deal where I, overpaid at least i felt like i overpaid i've been cheap ever since and it's just a function of i have limited cash in my bank account and i want to buy you know the best pro i want to buy as many properties as i can and so i would buy these 1920s buildings which i really liked in la and that was the first one the first duplex was a 1920s buildings and you know i could get those cheap i could get those for about half of what uh, on a square foot basis, what other properties in LA cost, I could get those for around $200 a square foot, maybe 250 now. Whereas uh, a lot of properties in LA are 500 a square foot. And you're getting them for half market. And, you know, it just gives you a cushion to, to do things. And I try to renovate them. But uh, anyway, so I was investing in LA and I was, I was uh, buying 1920s product before I ever heard a podcast. And then my first real estate podcast I ever hear, they're like, you can't, don't invest in the coastal cities. You, you can't just, you can't do it. You got to go to the middle of the country and never buy anything before 1980s construction. And I was like, what? I, I don't get it. Like <laughs> I was confused. I was like, so I've been doing this wrong the whole time. But uh, I think your bank account would say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it was, wor it was working great. I mean, I mean, I was, so, so there was nothing deliberate or conscious about me investing in LA. Nobody told me I couldn't. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> and you you just... I know my handyman who was from Trinidad, he bought a, like a garage to keep his tools in. And that was 20 years ago too. And now he owns like three, four plexes. Like the people investing in LA, the, the cool thing about LA is there's like 3 million properties in the uh, you know in the county of LA, three million parcels, and you know you could find I think you could find anything in LA. There's so much product. Some of it's distressed. Some of it's cheap. Some of it's outrageously expensive. And I just find I just target those core areas that are growing, and I look for the cheapest properties and I'll, I'll, I'll fix them up. Yeah, one of the things I love that you just did, and this is a challenge to me and everybody listening or, or uh, listen to this, is that you just said, uh, there are 3 million parcels in LA. 
I would challenge that, and you said it very confident, so I'm going to assume you know what you're talking about and you have studied this. <laughs> Probably have. I would not know even where to begin, I guess, for the county that I live in, much less the counties that I invest in. So it is awesome for you to know that. And I think it's one of those testaments that you have to know your market, right? Back to, would you make an offer based on not knowing anything? That is getting into the weeds. And I think that helps you have a competitive advantage because uh, I bet that's, I'm willing to gamble just a little bit. It's not even a gamble, really. That's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to your knowledge about LA. You've been doing this for 20 years. You've been focused on that. that uh, it's a county, right? It's not just the city. Is it LA County or is it LA? Yeah, there's okay. LA City and then the county is a little broader. Yeah. So the, um, I've got some folks who uh, some uh, acquaintances live in Baltimore, but they always distinguish it's Baltimore County. <laughs> Baltimore City is in. I'm like, I don't understand. Why can't you just say Baltimore? I don't know. Or maybe it's not in. Maybe I got that confused. But um, again, I'm geographically challenged. But uh, so how you mentioned this a little bit earlier, you, you were buying a couple of properties um, initially, right? And then you're buying them cheap because you obviously didn't have the garage that you're in now, which if, if, uh, if you can't see the garage, it's, I'm jealous of. Um, but you, how did you fund these deals, right? Were you waiting just for another script payment to, to come along and then you were funding them or were you going yeah. out raising money and talking no. to the old friends and family kind of thing? Yeah, no, I, I was terrified of, of asking anybody for money and losing the, the prospect of potentially losing anybody's yeah. money. So yeah, I mean, after coming away from that duplex sale, I, it was exciting to me to save all of my money and pump it all into real estate. You know, it created like this sure. virtuous cycle. Like it, it was this shiny goal of mine. And I, I had no interest in any, in buying a, a fancy car or any of the dumb status yeah. that people in the entertainment business or anywhere else waste their money on. Yeah. I, you know, every penny I could, I would save it when can I buy another building? That was ex hugely exciting to me yeah. to build this like portfolio. So I did that, you know, throughout the two thousands with my own money. And, um, you know, I think I just bought what I had funds for and I would buy cheap, you know, so I would look for that lowest cost per square foot. What's the max building I could get in a good area for the lowest price. And then I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to add value and, and make it, worth, you know, make the next buyer willing to pay market price for it. Yeah. Love that. Love it. Um, I love that you, cause there is a stigma, not just with LA folks, but also, or not LA, but like Hollywood, the whole movie scene, <laughs> acting scene is that they have to have the best shiny object, the latest shiny object, <laughs> but it's also with real estate investors too, right? Um, yeah. Especially these gurus that will come out and they'll, I, so I've been doing a lot on YouTube here recently, <clears throat> the last couple of weeks. And of course I'm inundated with ads of real estate investors. And there's these guys that are half my age. They've got so much gold around their neck. They're leaning <laughs> on, on a car or sitting on a hood of a car. And I have no idea what it is because it's not my 10 year old truck that I drive, you know? And I'm just like, these guys, who is the target audience? Cause it's not me. Like how many people actually believe 
this is what you're going to do. And, and then I've got Facebook friends who do post, Hey, I got my new Tesla or blah, blah, which I don't have a thing against Tesla's whatever. Uh, it's just uh-huh. that si- shiny new syndrome, um, object syndrome that really bothers me. It just totally, I mean, totally. What? So it's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Um, they, I don't see how the world doesn't see those. That is idiotic. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how I'm getting those ads. Like, oh, right. Like I haven't clicked on any. Maybe that's maybe I clicked on one just to watch it and entertain myself for a minute. But I, I don't know. And now I'm, I'm screwed. Right. So anyway, why, why are there so many gurus in real estate? You don't see gurus in other fields like um, to have a co- <laughs> have a coaching program about. Uh, you know, come to my three-week boot camp and I'll teach you how to be an NFL millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where if we were in that world, we, we would see that enough. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's because we're in the real estate investing world that we see that enough. And I don't have a coaching side to my business. It's an educational piece to my business, but I don't take on one-on-one. Coaching. Yeah. It's more of a mastermind. I advertise coaching. I've never had anybody take me up on it. I had one guy take me up on it. It was like $400 an hour. And he, a couple of weeks later, he says, Hey, I really don't want to do this. Can we just back out? I was like, Yes, thank you. Yeah. There's some great coaches. I mean, coaching there are effective. It yeah. just, the people that you're talking about, you know, who have been in the business for uh, six months and yes. now they're uh, uh, an authority somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they've uh, they've done one deal and they went and rented uh, or maybe broke into this mansion and and filmed something with their iPhone real quick. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. It just it just catches me off guard because that's not my uh, that's not my MO, yeah right. So it's the yeah 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 yeah. So how how now? So you've built this. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say an empire right because you've got now. <clears throat> excuse me, $80 million worth of a multifamily portfolio. Is that just yours? Is that a mix of you and, and some partners? How, how is that mixed up? Because my ultimate question is, it seems like now you're, you're raising money to, to, yes. to buy these deals. Um, so how are you going about finding partners and, and that sort of thing to, to look for your, for your, um, your next uh, capital guys for your, for your next property? Yeah. The first, you know, I, I spent, I spent, uh, it would have been eight years investing just my own money and, you know, doing what I mentioned about just trying to buy two or three properties a year in LA. And then, you know, I had at work, I had become a bit of an evangelist to all my coworkers, other writers. I was like, you know, you got to get into real estate. You know, this, this business we're in is so unstable. You got to do yourself a favor. And you know, none of them, surprisingly to me, none of them would do it. And uh, I have those friends too. And you yeah. know, Mark, when those, when you weren't around or they saw you coming, they're like, oh, here comes Mark. <laughs> what real estate advice is he going to give us now? You know? Right. <laughs> so my coworkers uh, were eventually like, you know, you won't stop talking about this thing. So why don't you go find a property and we'll, we'll give you money and you could invest that. And I wanted them to get away from like the money managers that were taking advantage of them. But uh, so, yeah, so that was my first one. And ironically, 
I brought in five writers that I see every day and we bought in 2008 and we removed contingencies and Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns collapsed and the entire global economy went into, you know, one of the worst recessions ever, led by the housing market, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Mark. Thank you for letting me invest with you. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, I see yeah. guys every day, they're smart asses. They're never going to let me hear the end of this. And, and you probably still have it, regardless of whatever happened with that deal, right? He's, what's that? They, they probably People, haven't let you live that <laughs> down yet. You know, I think I think some of them were so oblivious about the economy, like they didn't know. You know, they didn't really harass me that much. Um, but we we rode out. We bought in two thousand eight, and we, you know, I bought a C class. It was like a C class building in a in a up and coming neighborhood, kind of the same bread bread and butter that I was buying. And to my surprise, you know, as people were fleeing A class and more expensive units. They were coming in to this kind of product and also yeah. some people were experiencing foreclosures and becoming renters. So we stayed full and our rents actually ticked up and uh, you know, nice. we, did, we did well. And so I think they were happy. I think we did a lot better than the stock market during the same period that we owned. Good, awesome. And so now I remember, I wrote it down earlier, I think it's a good segue, uh, talking about today's economy. Right. We're in the middle of this COVID-19. This is being recorded um, in the middle of May 2020. And a lot of things have been shut down for a couple of months. A lot of things are starting to open back up now in California. I don't think you guys have opened anything up yet. Right. Um, I think a little bit. A little bit. It's hard to keep up and I kind of forget it. I don't watch the mainstream news anyway. So I, I kind of let my wife tell me what's go- tell me what's going on. And she's like... And, and the other day I was like, can we go to the beach today? She goes, yeah, I think they opened the beach. All right, let's go to the beach. You know, we could catch <laughs> for a minute. So that's what we're focused on. Uh, but, you know, with, I mentioned earlier, I can't remember if I'd hit the record button or not, but I was laid off from my W-2 job two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago due to COVID-19. And part of this, uh, one of the studies that I read is that 80% of CEOs, and this was not too, this was right when I was let go, is that 80% of CEOs in America think that a recession is coming and it's not here yet, right? So the big rock has been thrown in the pond. This tidal wave hasn't actually got to us yet. And maybe they're, maybe they're wrong, but that's a big number. Maybe they all looked at the same study and all the same materials and same came to the similar conclusion. But where do you think, because you've been investing for, for 20 years now, you've been through what's called the Great Depression or the Great Recession, 2000, you went through 2008, came out of it, still investing today. Where do you think we are in an economic climate um, and what do you think is going to happen over the next uh, 12 months? I have to guess that we're going to go through a recession and and it's hard for people to fathom, especially investors, when you spent 10 years just seeing nothing but phenomenal growth and steady upward climbs in real estate values and rents. And I remember that the memory is fresh from 2007 and eight. I had been watching real estate climb throughout the 2000s, and I thought we were done I actually thought we were done with the boom 
when I bought it and that it was going to bite <laughs> me in the ass. But uh, it kept going and I stopped investing, I think in like 2005, thinking like this market is way overheated, but it kept going in 2006 and 2007. And there was a lot of people like me sitting on the sidelines. Um, but we, you know, I jumped in in 2008 back in because I found the property that I brought in all those investors. That was a distressed property. The sellers were suing each other. But it was basically, it was unfathomable that real estate prices could go down. And nobody, just because it, they just get blinded to it. You get so used to the upward thing that you just don't think it's possible. And that's exactly what it feels like now. Like, I think there's so many investors that were watched prices climb and probably felt like prices were getting out of their reach to ever participate in the real estate you know, expansion and they had despair. And so right now they're thinking, Hey, prices have slid a little bit. Like I better jump in. And that's exactly what I thought in 2008 when prices dropped by 10, 15%. And I thought this is my time to enter. But you know, what I didn't see is the big picture is that real estate is cyclical. It goes down. And when it goes down, it goes down for a long time. It's not like a blip that goes down for a yeah. few months. So I think, you know, if, if history is in a indicator and it is to a certain extent, not totally, but I think, you know, recessions take a while to, to, to play out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I they, think, uh, no, I, I love your answer. Cause I, I feel the same way. I, I used the uh, analogy here recently that we're all in the Titanic and I think maybe I'm one of those guys. That, hey, let's let's at least get our life jackets on. Let's let's get next to the life rafts. And all all the people, a lot of folks around me are like cheers to me with their drink. Like, oh, I just closed another one. No, I just closed another one. But I I'm with you. I, I kind of had those um, silence feelers out there, right? So. I sold a duplex last year. Not, I didn't get quite the returns that you did on yours, but it's very similar. So I bought it uh, for 90 and then three years later sold it for 172 oh, nice. And it was incredible. And the reason why I did not want to sell this property is one of the best cash flow properties, but I, it was in an area that I wanted to invest more in. And I got tired of seeing the prices that were coming up. And I told my, my realtor, I was like, just put this one on the market. I'm tired of seeing these prices. Just put this one on the market for above the last three that sold. And Dad, if he didn't come and bring me a contract that was even above that, like three months later, and I was like, this is getting ridiculous. And I'm starting to hear people who have never thought about investing in real estate starting to buy investment properties. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this just, I'm going to let the engines cool. I'm going to put my life vest on. I'm going to start stacking some cash. I'm going to stay liquid and I'm going to start looking at where we're at in six months. Right. And that's where we're going to be. So yeah, it's comforting for me to hear either you and I are going to miss out or we're going to be in a buy position uh, here in the next 12 months for sure. Where all the other uh, gurus out there are um, still buying up today. And I hope it works it out for them, for them. I just, yeah, you know, I just, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, some of some, of the the thought leaders in the real estate space are, you know, good people and they're well intentioned. 
I just think they have these businesses that, um, you know, if they depend on syndication yeah. and coaching and boot camps and seminars, all of that, that's their diversified business in yeah. every aspect of their business depends on in investor enthusiasm. So, you know, they've got a cheerlead. They've got a they do. You know, cheerleading for real estate. They do. And that's everybody I've been to. I've um, actually started my first, no, my second round of raising private money. And everybody I've talked to in the last couple of weeks, I'm like, look, I'm just keeping keeping the communication lines open. We're not going to do anything for six months. And unless and, and just crazy opportunity comes, because I'm still looking for them. Um, we're not doing anything, right? So let's do some Zoom calls. Text me if you need anything, but just let's just keep it warm. We're gonna put it on the on the back burner, and we're gonna see what happens. But it's, in six months, we'll we'll know more than we do today. And I don't think, even if it continued to climb, that we're gonna miss out on anything tremendous. You know what I'm saying? So um, I I appreciate that. Hearing your point of view makes me feel more comfortable about mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so trying to say yeah. so. I just, it, it's kind of, kind of baffles me that it's so hard. There, it's this massive paradigm shift that has to happen. And you, we've been in this like expansion, this, this boom market paradigm. And where your fear is that you're going to miss out. You have this big fear of going to miss out because prices are going to keep escalating. Yeah. You're going to miss out. And so now when you see prices softening, you know, you can't restrain the impulse. Like I got to get in. I got to yeah. get it. They're going to go back up and I'm going to miss out again. But I think FOMO but right? is like similar to yourself. I sold about 20% of my portfolio in 2019. I'm still looking. And if I find something good, I'll buy it with low leverage and I'll look for the workforce housing. I'll look for the stuff that's not at the high end, not in the A class or the luxury. Yeah. And, uh, you know, buy a great long-term location. You know, I seem to be fixated on location way more than cash flow. And I know a lot of people buy for cash flow. You know, so if I can find something and get it at a good price, I'll probably buy, but be very cautious and not really, I'm not really going to jump in until I see the economy turning a corner. And probably that would be reflected in GDP, a couple quarters of consecutive GDP growth. Right. Completely agree. Mark, I have enjoyed talking with you. We could go on for hours, I feel like, but I know uh, we only had an hour. Uh, and by the way, thank you for, I know we had a scheduling conflict, totally my fault um, on one aspect of it. And then, but I, I appreciate you being flexible with your schedule and, and making time to make this happen. So Mark, let people know how they can get in touch with you. I know you got the Wild West uh, podcast. Uh, going on. I'll, I'll make links to all that in the show notes, but what's the best way for people to, excuse me, the Wild West Real Estate Podcast, uh, but let people know what's the best way to get in touch with you. Sure. My uh, website is called Quantum Capital Inc. Uh, it, or is, it's at quantumcapitalinc.com. And you can reach out to me directly at mark at quantumcapitalinc.com. And uh, yeah, the, you know, doing this podcast, the Wild West Real Estate Show. That's been fun. <laughs> I'm tuning in, man. I, I I can't get away from the name. I think you chose it. That's that's <laughs> it's awesome. It's a chance to uh, it's a chance to you know meet some. You'll have to come on. Will you come and be a guest? I would love to. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Send me the yeah, details. People to to meet 
to network because I sit in writers' rooms all day. You know, so <laughs> comedy writers. I don't. I don't know a lot of uh, real estate investors. But that's got to be one of the most entertaining jobs, right? Because you sit around, you cut up with guys you've known for for you, right? Especially now, you've known them for years. Yeah, you guys just get in and cut up and, and somebody drops this line they think's funny as hell and then the rest of you just beat them up and so what you know right. what are you talking about that's not funny the funniest part is just making fun of you for bringing it up so totally like i laugh all day long yeah. and i rarely laugh at jokes that we come up with i just laugh at the other people in the yeah. room <laughs> ruthlessly make fun of each other that's awesome that's that's an incredible work environment mark thank you again uh, for being here this hour. I really appreciate it. Send me the info uh, and I'll be happy to come be a guest on your show. Awesome. And uh, we'll go from there. All right. Thank great. you, sir. Thanks, Jay. This is great. It was fun. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too.